0: in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 22, and it says this, By faith Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. Then let's go back to Genesis chapter number 50, and we will read what the writer of Genesis has to say uh, about the uh, particular occurrence that the Hebrew writer was mentioning. And I want to start in verse number 15. Now, Joseph's father, Jacob, has died, and they have just finished the funeral. They buried him in Canaan. And now we find in chapter number 50 and verse 15, the Bible said this And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us, and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, "...Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, Forgive the the trespass of the servants of God of thy father." And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. And the brethren also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we be thy servants." And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, ye thought evil against me. But God meant it unto good, to bring to pass as it is this day, to save much people alive. Now therefore fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them, and spake kindly unto them. And Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he in his father's house, and Joseph lived an hundred and ten years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation, and the children also of Maker, the son of Manasseh, were brought up upon Joseph's knees. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die, and God will surely visit you, and bring you out of this land, unto the land which he sware to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones from hence. So Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Now, brother, if you'll turn me up just a little bit, if you can, please, and we'll pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for loving us first. And I pray you'll help us now in the preaching of the Word of God. I pray you'd get glory unto yourself. There be one lost without God. I pray you'd draw them unto Christ. And then I pray, Lord, You would build up the saints of God, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to preach a little bit on Joseph tonight, and we're still dealing with faith. Last night we spent a little time on Jacob, and we learned that... Faith crosses things up, and we talked about the antagonism of faith, how that faith is the opposite of flesh, and that struggle that goes on between whether we're going to walk by faith or whether we're going to walk according to what the flesh wants. I want to spend a little time on Joseph tonight, and I, I, I'm, I'm going to like myself now. I like this a little bit better because Joseph's back in a better light than he was last night. Last night, Joseph really was on the wrong side of this deal, wanting his father to walk by faith. or by by flesh rather than by faith but here we're going to find Joseph is on the right side of this question and I want to preach a little while on uh, the faith of Joseph and what we'll learn tonight is that faith communicates it communicates and we're going to look at the announcements of faith now a lot of time people say well you know I'm a Christian and but I'm I'm kind of a I'm a quiet Christian and I understand about personalities and all that sort of stuff but I will say this to you if you're Walking by faith, that faith will cause you to want to communicate the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ unto those that are around you. Now, there's a little phrase that we read in Hebrews 11 that gets my attention. It says, by faith, Joseph, when he was a dying, made mention. Joseph made mention. You say, well, preacher, sometime I don't have an opportunity to mention God. Then you have to make mention. You have to make an opportunity. You have to take an opportunity to talk about god i I was thinking the other day I have a friend, Dr. Hodge, and uh, there are two brothers they're as different as night and day. One of them's real, uh, kind of laid back and refined and dignified, and the other one is as crazy as a loon. Don and Ron. in fact, the first time that I ever met Don Hodge, I was at a missions conference, and i'd never met him before, and I ended up sitting beside him while we were eating lunch and uh, he 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 said to me, and I didn't even know who he was. He knew who I was. He said to me, Brother McBride, have you ever seen the high corn? And he was looking this way, and I was sitting beside him. He said, have you ever seen the high corn? I said, no, I've never seen the high corn. And he turned, and he said, "Hi!" and had a mouthful of chewed up corn. That was the first words that he ever spoke to me. He's as crazy as can be. But his brother Ron is dignified. I mean, he's, he was the vice president of Midwestern Baptist College and he's just as dignified as can be. But I remember Brother Ron saying that when that uh, he got saved first. Dr. Ron Hodge got saved first. Then uh, Dr. Don Hodge got saved later on. And, uh, you know, there's both, they were like all of us. They wild and wicked before they got saved. But uh, when they got saved, uh, their family got angry with them a little bit about, about their Christian testimony. And so Dr. Hodge said, one day we were home for Christmas, the whole family. And he said, here's what I did. He said, I just got the whole family I I said, I want to talk to y'all. I want you to sit down in the living room. I just want to talk to you. So they all sat down in the living room, and he just got in the middle of them. And he said, I just started talking to him about my testimony. I told him what Jesus had done for me, how He changed my life and saved my soul. And he said, I know some of you are upset about it. He said, but I just want to tell you that I love you. I don't want you to go to hell. Jesus Jesus died for you, paid for your sin. And he just mentioned to them and communicated to them what God had done for him. We don't do enough to communicating of our faith. We don't make mention of it enough. We ought to be looking for opportunities. So I want to talk to you about that a little bit. Pray. Now, uh, we're a little. I'm a little bit nervous because I have four points, and I'm normally a three-point preacher, so I don't know how this is going to work, but we'll see what happens. I have a sneaking suspicion we're not going to make it through all four of them anyway, so I don't guess it matters. But I want to talk to you about faith making mention, the communication of faith. I want to say four things. First of all, I want to say from the life of Joseph that faith, love, Faith loves to make mention of the Father. Faith loves to make mention of the Father. Faith loves to get a chance or make a chance to say, you know, God's been good to me, and God has blessed me. You know, down there at the work, somebody ought to come in singing sometime because, or come in whistling. Come in with some joy on your face because there's so little of that in the world we live in today. And sooner or later, somebody's bound to say, what are you so happy about? And you know what you can say? I'm happy because Jesus saved my soul. Because God has been good to me. Because I'm born again. Because I read my Bible this morning and prayed and I heard from God. And told Him what I needed, and He gave me an assurance throughout the day. Amen. There's a song in my heart because I spent a little time with Jesus. He'll do that for you, won't He? And so, uh, faith loves to make mention of the Father. Now you say, preacher, is that in the life of Joseph? Oh, it is. You're going to find out. We're going to find out if we would look closely that at every major event of Joseph's... life. You know what he does? He brings God up into it. I want you to think about it now. He's been carried off into Egypt, sold into slavery. He's in Potiphar's house. And you remember when Potiphar's wife wife, cast her eyes upon Joseph. She wanted him to commit adultery with her. He said, lie with me. And she kept after him day after day after day. Somebody said, preacher, I can't live for God in the world. I'm under constant pressure. So was Joseph. But he lived for God anyway. He did right anyway. But you know what he said to her? He said to we're finally, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against? God. Now, where was Joseph looking? Where was he looking that day? He had his eyes on the Savior. He had his eyes on his Father, on God. Then I noticed that when he was, because she lied about him then, she lied and he ended up in the prison house and he's down there. And you remember one day the butler and the baker were there. The king's butler and baker, they'd gotten in trouble and they were down there in the prison and Joseph, God had given him favor with the jail keeper and so he was kind of more or less in charge of the prison. Oh, i got to be careful. I'll start preaching a whole other message. Can I just throw this in here? Did you ever say, Preacher, why did Jacob have to go through... Why did Joseph have to go through the jail? Well, I'm sure there's a lot of reasons. But one reason was God was preparing him... For the palace. Don't you expect when he'd go in there that baker would talk about what was going on in the palace. This is what we do. And that butler would say, you know, up at the palace, this way we did it. And they got Joseph ready when he got there that he would fit in in the palace in the sense of doing things the way they ought to be done so that he could have a good testimony. A lot of the trials of life are nothing more than God preparing us for better things. But that's a whole nother sermon. But anyway, Joseph went in there. And you remember one day he went in and they were sad. And said said that this tickles me that he said this. You just have excuse me. I just get tickled. He said, why look he so sadly today? And I want to say because we're in prison, Joseph. That's why we look sad. But there was a reason. You remember what the reason was? They had both dreamed a dream and they didn't know what it meant. So they said that to Joseph and his answer was. Do not interpretations belong unto God? He's still got his mind on God. And then later on, when they bring him up to the palace to stand before Pharaoh, because Pharaoh's had the dream that's troubling him. And he said, I have heard of thee that thou canst interpret dreams. And what did Joseph say? He didn't say, well, I've had a pretty good record so far. I've been right. No, here's what he said. He said, "Uh, it is not in me, O king, but God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Then God gives Joseph's two sons. He gives him Manasseh. And he gives him Ephraim. We talked about them. He named Manasseh this way. He named him Manasseh, which means God hath made me forget all my toil. And he named the other one Ephraim, which means God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. So Joseph looked at them babies, but he didn't just think about babies. He thought about God, even in the way he named them. Then later on, his brothers come in chapter, I think it's 41 or maybe 42, his brothers come. And you remember, he's going to put them through. He's going to kind of put them through some trouble there. Not because he's mad, not because he's trying to get even, but because he wants to bring them to repentance so they can have fellowship. Joseph, if you ever noticed, Joseph recreated their sin. All the things they did to him, he did to them. And when he got done doing them, the Bible said they looked at him. And they looked at one another. And Reuben said, it's because of what we did to our brother. I told you we shouldn't have. That's why all this has come upon us. He brought them under conviction, which was what He was after. But then He said this to them. He said, this do, for I fear God.
1: Then a little later,
0: he will say to them, we read it in our text, he said, am I in the place of God? He said, God meant it unto good. And then he said, God will surely visit you. You know what I'm finding out? I'm finding out this man of faith that in every every event of his life, major events and even smaller events, Joseph wants to bring God up. Faith loves to make mention of God's work in life. Do you talk about God? Do you tell people what God's done for you? Faith likes to make mention of the Father. Then there's a second thing I think we learn from the life of Joseph that faith loves to make mention of forgiveness. You know men of faith and women of faith love forgiveness. Why? Because we've been forgiven so much. The Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, be a kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Now, when Joseph's father dies, these boys come to him. And you notice what they said to him. They said, "They said your, your father said, he, he wanted you, to, he wanted you to, to forgive us of our trespasses and don't do evil toward us. And you know what it did when Joseph heard him say that? The Bible said he wept. It broke his heart that, that those brothers would think that he had not. Forgiven them. Now, I want you to think about that. Most of the time, we're upset because somebody wronged us, and we can't get even. We're plotting ways to get even. And we're upset because we can't, and so we get bitter. But Joseph was upset that they would even think that he would want to get even. He wept because they didn't believe He had forgiven them. How many of us love forgiveness so much that it would break our heart if someone would not accept our forgiveness? I, I dealt with somebody last week, and I wouldn't tell you any of the particulars of it, but filled with bitterness. Bitterness. I gave him the verses over in the book of Matthew, how to deal with bitterness. When Jesus said this, you have heard that it hath been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. You say, now, preacher, how do you love your enemies? That's uh, that, that love, sometimes we have trouble with it. How do you love them? Well, God explained it. Here's what you do. You speak well of them. You do good to them. And you pray for them. <laughs> I was preaching on forgiveness one time. I preach on it a lot because uh, our Baptist churches are full of bitter people. Angry and upset over hurts. and I tell you how foolish it is. I was preaching on the radio last week. We we're in Sherathon, I think it was probably three years ago. I preached a series in Sheraton on forgiveness. Preached every service from Monday through Friday, two o'clock. Preached on forgiveness, different aspects of it. And I was preaching in almost all. I think it was forty-seven states and over fifty countries around the world over the internet. And I was preaching on forgiveness. So I got done preaching one day, and this woman calls the church, this lady, and she said, "I want to talk to Brother Barton." That's the pastor of the church where we were so I want to talk to Brother Barton so Brother Barton got on the phone she said Brother McBride has been preaching on forgiveness and she called and she said I've called because I need to forgive you and he said well I appreciate that he said uh, can I ask what I've done to you she said, she said years ago you mowed my lawn and you stole my lawnmower he said now now what is your name again she told him his name. He said, ma'am, I've never met you. I've never mowed your lawn. I don't know anything about your lawnmower. There's a long silence on the phone. And she said, you mean that wasn't you? All those years, some 20 years, she'd been bad-mouthing the preacher and mad and angry and bitter at him. And it wasn't even him. That's how foolish our unforgiveness is and our bitterness I was preaching on bitterness one day, and a lady said to me, Preacher, we've been having a Bible study, our lady's Bible study, and we've been dealing with uh, forgiveness and bitterness. I said, that's good. She said, we've come up with a definition of bitterness. I don't know if they read it somewhere or come up with it themselves. I'd never heard it before, but here's what she said. She said, bitterness is a poison that you give to yourself, hoping it'll kill your enemy. And that's the truth. Bitterness don't bother the people you're mad at. It don't change their life any, but it sure does ruin your life. It's like a cancer that eats you from the inside out. Bitterness is a poison that you give to yourself hoping it'll kill your enemies. And that's exactly what it does. That's why the Bible said in Ephesians 4, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speak and be put away from you with all malice and then be a kind one to another, tender hearted. And it also says earlier in Ephesians chapter 4, it said uh, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down you on your wrath, neither give place to the devil. You see, bitterness gives place to the devil in your life. It gives him an easement. You know what an easement is? you got a piece of property, somebody wants to get on it, but they can't do it legally unless you give them an easement. But if you give them an easement, then they have a legal right to get on that property. When you're angry and bitter, you give the devil a legal right to get in your life and get in your family and destroy areas of your life and your family. You say, well, preacher, uh, I, I don't want the devil in my life. Well, if you've given somebody an easement, you can go out there and stand by the road and jump up and down and, and shake your fists and curse and do whatever you want. You can weep and cry, but it isn't going to do any good. they got the law on their side. And you come to the altar and weep and cry and beg and say, Oh, God, I don't want this in my life. I don't want that in my life. But you're not going to get anywhere if you're angry and bitter because the devil has a legal right to operate in your life. You say, well, what can you do? You have to take it to a higher court. That's what you'll have to do. You better take it to the court of God and get it right and forgive. And then when you forgive, then the devil won't have that right anymore. Now here is Joseph. Now I want you to think about, I want you to think about what happened in Joseph's life. I got a feeling we're stuck here, but it's okay. I want you to think about, here's what happened. Joseph was beloved of his father. You remember, they get, I just stay over here for the cameraman's sake. You give the, uh, uh, he gave him that coat of many colors and it made his brothers envious. They envied him. And they envied him so much that they decided they were going to kill him. The Bible put it this way in Genesis 37. He said when they saw him coming, they conspired against him. A conspiracy is what it was. And they said, behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And we will say some evil beast hath devoured him. And that's what they told his father. You remember? So they took him. They stripped his coat off. They put him down in the the, uh, pit. The Bible's careful to tell us there was no water in the pit. Later on in Genesis, we'll find out they Say they tell us that he pleaded with them from the pit. He pleaded with them, but you know what Genesis thirty-seven says? When he was down in the pit, begging for them to get him out. You know what it says? They sat down and ate bread. You want to talk about hard, man? If you just if you just attacked somebody, and we're planning to kill them. Looks like you'd be looking over your shoulder, wondering if anybody saw, wondering if you would be. But they are—they are so hard and so angry at Joseph that they sit down around the mouth of that pit while he pleads with them and eat a meal. And then the Bible said they see a some Ishmaelites or Midianites. It says in in that chapter, Midianites coming. And Judah said, "You know, what profit is if we slay our brother?" What prophet said? so let's sell him. So they sell their brother. They sell him into slavery. The, the writer of Psalms says they watched him carried off in irons and in fetters. Then they take that coat and they cover it in blood and they take it to their father and they say, tell us whether this be thy son's coat or no. I can't imagine what Jacob must have felt looking at that bloody coat. You, I can't imagine it. And then he goes off. He he heads off, and, and he's gone. And they don't make mention of him. They don't they don't bring him up. I, I'm sure they didn't whisper about. I'm sure they didn't talk. I'm sure Joseph was a the name they did not bring up. But Jacob refused to be comforted. So now they come to to. Egypt and Joseph is working on them to bring them to a place of repentance, and he does. And I don't have time to go through all the things that he does, but everything he did, he didn't do to get even. He did it to bring them to a place where fellowship could be restored. And we know that because in one chapter, I think it's chapter 45, when they bring Benjamin back, the Bible said he brings them in, and he kissed them. He kissed those fellows that had ripped that coat from him. He kissed those fellows that had that had stripped him and thrown him in that pit. He kissed those fellows that pulled him out of that pit and sold him into slavery. Because yeah. he loved him. Now, here they come. It's the end of Joseph's life. And they come to him and they say, Your, our father's dead now. Don't don't please don't wreak vengeance on us. They figure, they figure because they think Joseph's heart is like their heart. They think that since his father's dead, now he's going to kill them. And when they bring it up, what does the Bible say happens to Joseph? He weeps. This isn't the first time he wept. He wept before when they talked about what they had done to him. Not because of what they'd done, but he wept over what they were having to go through. You see, Joseph was thinking more of them than he was thinking of himself. Joseph's tear-filled eyes must have said to them, there, You can be right. You can be right. I don't hate you. I'm not angry with you. I'm not bitter with you. I have forgiven you. I'm clean from this. I want to ask you a question, friend. Have you ever wept over the people that wronged you? Not because they wronged you but wept for their sake that's faith that's faith not only his tear-filled eyes would tell them that he had forgiven them but his trusting heart here's what he said he said God meant it unto good he said I'm not looking at you I'm not thinking about what you did. I'm not, that's not what's on my mind. What's on my mind is God working behind the scenes, that unseen hand. I'm trusting God. You see, when we're angry and bitter, it's because we're not trusting God. I, I know I know. people say this and, and I don't want to ruffle anybody's feathers but we try and help people and we say well, you know, God allowed them to do that to you. That, God didn't allow anybody to do anything. Listen to me now. The reason people get hurt, the reason people get wronged, is because God made us free moral agents. He did not want robots. He wanted somebody who will obey Him and love Him out of choice not being forced to. So He gave man a free will. If you're a Calvinist, I'm sorry, but you're wrong. You are scripturally wrong, and you are in error, and you have given a false moral picture of man and God. God gave man a free will. He decides, because he didn't want robots, but here's what happens. When God gives man a free will, then man can decide to do right, or he can decide to do wrong. And when he does wrong, somebody always gets hurt. It is not God allowing it. It is not God saying it's okay, it doesn't matter. It is God saying, I gave gave him a free will. He has made the wrong decision. That's why there is sin and sorrow and suffering. But God is sovereign enough and has enough knowledge that when people are wrong, God takes it and uses it, turns it around for good, because that's what God does. It's not a matter of God allowing us to hurt someone or someone to hurt us. God is a sovereign God, but He doesn't want robots. You choose to do right, then you get blessed of God. You choose to do wrong, then there are going to be ramifications of what's wrong. So Joseph looks past those boys. He doesn't look at them boys and say, "And say I'm just focused in on you and what you did. Joseph said, no, I'm going to trust God. God meant it under good. What Joseph is saying is, my God is big enough to turn this around and make it good for all of us. Uh, in, these, in these 30, 35, some years I've been saved, I have seen over and over again how God takes something. The, he even takes the wickedness of man. He makes the wrath of man to praise Him. He can bring good out of it. If we will walk by faith, God can do good out of it. And Joseph chose to walk by faith and God brought good out of it. His trust in God. Do you remember, do you remember when those boys came home? You might remember this passage. And, and they they come home, and Jake, Joseph has said to them, you're spies. He's trying to bring them to repentance now. And he said, you got to go home, get your little brother, and bring him back. You remember? And Jacob did not want Benjamin to go because Benjamin, he thought, was the last thing he had of his beloved wife, Rachel, didn't want her to go. And here's what he said. He looked at those boys, and he said, me have ye bereaved of my children. Joseph is not, and Simeon is not. And ye will take Benjamin also. Now, this is what he said. He looked at those boys, Boys. And he said, me have ye bereaved. And then he said, all these things are against me. Now, who was he looking at? He said, me have ye. He's looking at them boys. And because he looked at them boys, he couldn't find any comfort. He couldn't find any help. But who was Joseph looking at? Joseph was looking at God. He said, you meant it to evil for evil, but God meant it unto good. And Joseph was able to find comfort and strength in the fact that God meant it unto good. Joseph's tear-filled eyes would tell them that he loved to forgive. And Joseph's trusting heart. And then Joseph's tender words. Listen to what he said to them. The Bible said in verse number 21 of chapter 50, Now therefore fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. (laughs) He spake kindly to the ones who conspired against him. He spake kindly to the ones who stripped him of his coat. He can't, he spake kindly to the ones that Genesis 37 says they hated him. Listen to what it said now. It said they hated him and they could not speak peaceably unto him. I talk to people who live in homes where mom and dad and the kids cannot speak peaceably one to another. Hateful words, unkind words, critical words. And Joseph was brought up in that home. But here the Bible said, he spake kindly. Don't you ever tell God that you can't forgive. Don't you ever tell him that there was too much hurt. Don't you ever tell him, Lord, it's just too hard. Joseph spake kindly unto them. And he not only spake kindly of them before Matthew chapter five was ever written, where you're supposed to do good to them that hate you. Joseph said, "I will nourish you, and comfort you." Faith loves to make mention of forgiveness. Can I just put it this way? Faith loves to forgive. You know, you know. One reason I know that faith loves to forgive because our faith is in God, and God loves to forgive. He delights in it. You read Luke chapter 15 and tell me that God doesn't love to forgive. You read Luke chapter 15 and see that boy who took everything his father had and went into a far country and basically said to his father, I want what you have, but I don't want you. I want what you have, but I don't want you. I don't want you. I want your finances, but I don't want your fellowship and then went and took all that hard-earned money and wasted it away. And now he's wasted away on riotous living. Now, whether he's right or not, I don't know, but his brother said he's devoured thy living with harlots. I don't know if he knew what he's talking about, but it's certainly riotous living would certainly imply that. And so now that boy comes back and he smells like a hog and he's been in the hog pen. He's got rags. He's got nothing left. And the father doesn't stand there and say, when you can prove to me that you are really sorry, I will forgive you. When you make it right, I will forgive you. No, the father goes running and falls on him, had compassion and began to kiss it. Study that word kiss. It's not this. That's not it. It's this. It is a continuous action. And he falls on that boy and kisses. And that boy is trying to confess his sin. He's trying to say, Father, I've done wrong. But he can't hardly get it in because he's trying to get Daddy to stop kissing him long enough to tell him that he's done wrong. What's it tell us? God loves to forgive. Do you love to forgive? Faith loves to make mention of forgiveness. I believe faith loves to say, I forgive you. <laughs> now, somebody's going to say this. I'm, I'm stuck here. You don't mind if I'm stuck a little while, do you? Somebody's going to say, now, preacher, I can't forgive somebody unless they, unless they make it right. No, you need to go back and study your Bible again. Mark chapter 11, verse 25, when you stand praying, if you have ought against any, forgive. Now, who do you talk to when you pray? I talk to God. So that forgiveness there in Mark 11 must be between me and God. The person who wronged me doesn't have to be anywhere around, doesn't have to say anything, doesn't have to do anything. That's judicial forgiveness. I forgive them in God's sight. Now, Luke chapter 17 is a different story. If your brother trespass against you, uh, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against you seven times in a day, and seven times he come and, re- and you rebuke him and he repent, forgive him seven times. But oh, when the disciples heard that, they said, Lord, increase our faith. They said, that's a little bit much for us feel that way about forgiveness maybe sometimes but the difference between mark 11 and luke 17 is this mark 11 is judicial forgiveness and luke 17 is fellowship forgiveness so i can forgive somebody fella called me on the phone the other day he said preacher he said and he told me what had happened to him when he was a boy something had done and the person that had done it was dead and he said i don't know what to do he said the man is dead And he said, I've been told that I can't forgive him because he's dead. I can't forgive him unless I confront him. That's That's not judicial forgiveness. You can forgive the person that wronged you whether you ever see him again or not. You take it to God and forgive them between you and God. Forgiveness normally in the Bible means to separate, it means to send away. And it is a separating of the sin from the sinner. That's what God did for us. He separated us from our sin, laid it all on Christ on Calvary, and we don't have to pay for it anymore. So when you forgive, you send it away. You send it away. You separate it. You do that between God, you and God. When you do that, you know what happens? It's like unloading your gun. Because God will change how you feel if you'll pray that way. Some of people say, well, I just don't feel like it. Well, here's what the writer of Proverbs said. He said, if I commit my ways unto the Lord, the Lord will establish my thoughts. My ways are what I do. My thoughts are how I feel, what I think. If I will do what God says, whether I feel like it or not, then God will change the way I feel about it. So if I'll forgive between me and God, It may not happen immediately. It may take a little while, but God will change how I feel. And then when God changes how I feel, then I could go to that person and talk to them about fellowship. And I can do it not so that I'll feel better, but I'll do it so that they can get right and get help. Now it's not for my good, it's their good. I'm just saying to you, faith likes to Forgive. Faith, forgiveness, is wonderful. The world's the thing the world, said, "Boy, get them back now. Show them you're somebody." God said, "No, forgive them. Show them you're somebody." That says sh- the world say, "Make them pay. Show how strong you are." Then God will say, "No, you forgive them. Show them how much like me you are." Faith loves to make mention of forgiveness. Now, you say, preacher, is that it? is it in the text? Now, I want you to remind you. I want to remind you this. The Bible said. In Hebrews 11, by faith, Joseph made mention of the departing of Israel. And, and when he did that, if you go back to Genesis 50, you'll find the first people he made mention of it to were his brethren. Those ones that had wronged him. Look looked like if Joseph was angry and bitter, he would have just left them out of it. But they were the first people that he told. Faith loves to make mention of forgiveness. Let me say something else to you. I think we've got time for at least one more, don't we faith if you, if you, if If you don't think we do, just hang on, we 'll be done in a minute. Faith loves to make mention of the father. Faith loves to make mention of forgiveness. Faith loves to make mention of freedom. Now listen to what he said. He said by faith, let me go back to my my text in Hebrews. by faith. Come on, one more page. By faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel. Departing from what? Departing from where? Egypt. And what was going on in Egypt? Slavery. But Joseph said to those Israelites, You aren't going to be a slave forever, you don't have to stay here forever. God has made us a promise that He's going to get us out of here. He was referring, no doubt, to the promise that God made to Abraham in, in or Abram it was then in Genesis 15, and He will say later on, he, uh, uh, he will talk about the promise that He made to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, their fathers, that God was going to bring them out of bondage. Here is release from the captives, a departing release for them. They're going to be free from the bondage that they're in. You know what faith loves to do? Faith loves to make men to the fact that I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was a slave to sin, but now I am free. I once was a servant of unrighteousness, but now I'm a servant of godliness. Faith loves to tell about how God broke the chains and delivered us from the bondage where we were in. We were all in bondage to sin, weren't we? The Bible said, John eight forty four. Ye are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father. Ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in truth, for there's no truth in him. When he speaketh of a lie, or speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. He said, "The lust of your father, ye will do." We were servants of sin. I talked to you about that last night, so I'll not dwell on it. But we were captives. We were captives. But Joseph makes mention of the fact. That we don't have to remain captives. God's able to bring us out. I remember one day preaching in North Carolina. And, and uh, I'm trying to remember. I think I was preaching on on out of Isaiah chapter 40 on how to find comfort. I think that's what I was preaching on. But it's been a pretty long time ago. But I remember that as soon as we started the invitation, this man come running up. And he didn't get on the altar. He grabbed the pulpit. And he started crying out to God. Holding on to the pulpit and crying out to God. And a little while later when it was all said and done, that man got saved and his wife came up. She said, that's my husband. And she called him by his name and he said, she said, he's a dope addict. And I said, you mean he was a dope addict. She said, well, he, he, I don't know what happened to him tonight. I said, he got saved tonight. God's going to deliver him from that. And so, I saw that man. I'm trying to remember how many years it was later. I was preaching in Georgia and, I was stand, and, and a lady came one night and I shook her hand and she said, you remember me? And I said, I'm sorry, I don't. She said, I'm from such and such a church and my brother got saved when you were there and he was old dope addict and he got saved. I said how's he doing? She said oh he's doing great now. I, the reason I tell you that is because two nights later her brother showed up. He come walking up on the platform and he held his hand out. I shook his hand he said you know who I am? Well I wouldn't have known except she would talked to me a couple days before. I called him by name. He said that's right. I said your sister was here. She told me you're doing well. He said I'm a deacon down here at the Baptist Church where I'm a member. You said Bridget what happened to that man? Freedom's what happened to that man. Deliverance? what happened to that man. God is able to free you from the chains of sin. You don't have to stay the way you were. Yeah, right. That man being Christ he's a new creature. Yeah. Old things passed away. Behold all things are become new. I'm thinking about faith loves to make mention of freedom. Now can I just, I want to get I do want to get to this last point so can I just mention this in a hurry. You listen in a hurry. I'm thinking about Joseph now. Here's what he said. He, 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 he made them swear an oath to him. And the oath was that when they left Egypt, they would carry up his bones. Verse 25, Genesis 50. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones from hence. Now, Joseph died a long time before God kept that promise and brought them out. So those bones have been laying in Egypt for a long time. I don't know where they kept them. I know the Bible said that they put him in a coffin, But where would they keep those bones? I don't know. But they must have kept them somewhere where they'd know where they were because they'd taken an oath of him they was going to carry him up. So I'm thinking about what would happen when they'd go by and see those bones? When they'd walk by? Maybe a child would come by and and say to them, uh, What's this, Daddy? Oh, those are the bones of Joseph. Why do we keep those around, Daddy? Because Joseph said... We're supposed to take those bones out of here when we leave. And that little fellow would look up and say, You mean we're going to leave here? You mean we're going to get out of this? And that man would say, Yeah. How do you know, Daddy? Because Joseph said so. His bidding would remind them constantly that there was a way out. You know, when we look at the cross... You know what we're reminded constantly? There's a way out. There is a way Hallelujah. You don't have to live the way you've been living. Sinners don't have to live the way they've been living. Somebody say, preacher, what, what's that cross all about? That's freedom, friend. That's a way out. That is deliverance. You don't have to live the way you've been living. And not only is bidding, but then, I thought about this, his biography would remind them that there was a way out. Because it, when, when that daddy would say to that boy, Joseph, that boy might say, well, who is Joseph. And Daddy would go through the life of Joseph. He'd tell him, well, his brothers hated him. They put him in a pit. They sold him in. You mean Joseph was a slave, Daddy? Yeah, he was a slave, but God brought him up out of that slavery and put him on the throne down there in Egypt. You mean, Daddy, that God can take somebody who's a slave and bring them out and make them a conqueror? Yeah, that's what God can do. You see the very fact that those bones were there and that they were the bones of Joseph who had gone from the bottom to the top by the work and power of God would remind them that there was deliverance on the way. You know, it is so important for you and I to make mention of how God's given us victory in our lives it is not that, it's not that we should go back and labor on what we did and nobody needs to know exactly what you were and nobody wants to know the particulars of our wickedness and our ungodliness but they do need to know that we were wicked and we were ungodly and we were helpless and hopeless until we heard the gospel and repented of our sin and believed the gospel and then God brought us out and made us different than what we used to be because there's always going to be somebody around who's still in bondage and still enslaved and they need to know there is a way out. They need to know that. And then Joseph's burial was the express proof of their freedom. When they, when they buried, you know they took Joseph's bones with them, you remember? And what did they do with them? They buried him in the promised land. What was that? That was a testimony of the fact that God can deliver and God does deliver their actions. Our actions ought to be a testimony. That God's in the delivering business. Now let me say one more thing to you. I preached a long time. But I'm kind of enjoying myself. So I'm having a hard time quitting. Let me give you one more point. This last point is this. Faith loves to make mention of the finish. Joseph said in chapter 50. I die. He's a lot like his daddy. Who simply said. Behold. I die. Joseph says. I die. He's not crying over it. He's not regretful over it. He doesn't, he doesn't say, I wish somebody could help me. It's a simple truth in Joseph's mind that it's time to die. Everybody dies. Unless God comes in the rapture. I'm a pre-tribulation, premillennial Bible believer. And I believe in the rapture. But if God doesn't come in the rapture in my lifetime, I'm going to die. And I might die tonight. Supporting on man wants to die. And after this, the judgment. You don't know when you're going to die. And I don't know when I'm going to die. When you're young, you say, well, I'm young. I'm not going to die. When you're middle-aged, you say, well, I've taken care of myself. I'm not going to die. When you get old, you say, I've made it this far. I'm not going to die. But young people die and middle-aged people die and old people die. Wouldn't it be wonderful? I preached on Enoch the other night. God translated him, and the Bible said that he should not see death. Won't it be wonderful when we never see death again? Sometimes we talk about forgiveness. Sometimes people say, I'll be happy if I never see you again. I will say that about death tonight. I'll be happy if I never look in the cold face of death again. The death of people I love and care about. I'll be happy about that. But when Joseph is dying, it sounds to me like he's ready. He said, I die. It's a, it's a fact. All of us are going to die. Sooner or later, we're going to die. So we better be ready, we? Yeah. So there's a simple truth. We die. And then there is a settled truth. Here's what he said. I die. Now, if the world would like to say that that's where it ought to end. I die. If we believe what the world says about death, that'd be the end of Genesis 50. I die. But it's not the end. Because the settled truth is death does not erase God's faithfulness. Joseph said, I die. And God will visit you. You say death is the end. No, death is not the end. Death is the beginning. Charles Spurgeon said it this way and I like it he said for the Christian death is not the house death is just the porch that leads into the house death is not the end I remember my friend, Horace Minton, up in Pisgah Baptist Church, or if you're from North Carolina, Pisgah Baptist Church, and Horace Minton, and uh, he had, a, he had a, an elderly man named Mark Shatley, and they'd go out visiting, and Mark had got saved, and one day they were going to go out visiting Mark Shatley, and, and preacher Horace, and a young preacher named Kenny Davis, they were going up in them hollers to visit all of Mark's relatives, and talk to them about Jesus, and Mark was driving the truck, and Horace is in the middle, and Kenny was over here, and Horace and Kenny were talking, and all of a sudden they noticed he's going slow, and they noticed that the... The truck was swerving a little bit, and Horace turned and and, uh, and Mark was slumped over he's dead he had a heart attack, and he died and they got the truck stopped, got him out of the truck, laid him on the on the ground and his relatives would come this was before cell phones and all that sort of stuff. His relatives would come by while they was waiting for the ambulance, and they 'd say he was coming to visit me wasn't he 's coming to talk to me about Jesus wasn't he? because that 's what Mark did and people got saved they had his funeral, and at his funeral, they played a tape of him testifying in the church and Here's what he said. He said, Preacher Horace, if someday you should hear that I'm dead, don't you believe it? I'll be more alive than I've ever been. And they had, they had, they had a, a tent meeting that 84 people get saved, had people called to preach. He said, what are you saying? I'm saying death does not end it for the Christian. God is faithful even after death. I remember reading, uh, Dr. Spurgeon said one day about a lady who had a hound dog and her husband was lost. And every Sunday she'd go to church and that hound dog would go with her she'd had it since she, was a, she's, since she was a young woman, not since a child, but a young woman. And that hound dog just loved her, and he'd follow her to church. And they'd walk in the church, and the hound dog would follow her, and she'd sit down on the little bench there, and the hound dog would curl up under the bench during service. you say, Preacher, I don't, I don't know if I like that. Well, I'm from Bean Blossom, Indiana, and it sounds perfectly normal to me. As long as it was a walker, not a blue tick. But anyway, and so, so she, she tried to get her husband saved. He wouldn't get saved. And she died. And the Sunday after she died on Sunday morning, the dog was scratching at the door. And the daddy thought, the husband thought he had to go out, you know, and just like dogs do. And so he went and opened the door. But instead of going in the yard, the dog headed down the lane. And he thought, wonder where that dog's going. So he got dressed and followed him all the way down the church house. The dog scratched at the door and the fellow opened the door. And the dog come down the, the aisle and sat laid down under the Bench, and the fellow said, what is an old hound dog going to do in church? And he followed him down, sat on the bench, and the preacher got up and preached, and he got born again. So what happened? That's God being faithful. Even death doesn't stop God. Your death and my death won't stop him. So it's a settled truth, and then it it is a sublime truth. Death does not erase God's faithfulness, and death is not the end of a life of faith. Because Joseph's bones were carried all the way to the promised land. And you say, well, preacher, so-and-so died. I know, but if they're saved, their death was not the end. Their death was a graduation. They crossed the finish line. We're going to cross the finish line one of these days. There was an old saint of God named Godwin. And when he died, I think you can find this written in, in uh, uh, Shaw's book on dying testimonies of the saved and the lost. And Godwin, or Goodwin, said this on his deathbed. He said, ah, is this dying? How have I dreaded as an enemy this smiling friend? Somebody said, preacher, I'm afraid to die. When I was pastoring, we had a dear sister named Ms. Sister LaRue. She's an elder saint. And she I never saw her that she didn't have a little canister behind her. With oxygen in it and them tubes going up and in her nose. She lived in a little senior assisted living place. And I'd go down there and visit her. And we'd, I'd sit at her table and we'd talk about the Bible. So one day I came in. And we sat and she was a little bit quiet. I said, is anything wrong, sister? She said, pastor, I have a question. I said, okay. She said, and she was hesitant about it. She said, pastor... I'm afraid to die. I said, are you? She said, does it mean I'm not saved because I'm afraid to die? I said, no, no, it doesn't mean that. We talked and I figured out what the problem was. See, most of her adult life, she'd had trouble with her lungs and so she'd had that oxygen. And there'd been a lot of times when she'd had to gasp for breath. (laughs) And I think, I, I, I figured out, this is what I thought now. But that's what she thought dying was going to be like. Gasping for breath. So we talked about it. She felt better about it. And I left. And the Lord put me back on the road traveling. And they called me one day and they said, Sister LaRue's gone home be with the Lord. I said, tell me about it. They said, well, she didn't come out of her, out of the assisted living place. and, And they check on them, you know, every day. And she didn't come out all day. And so the next day the daughter came and unlocked the door. She wasn't in the kitchen. She wasn't in the living room. She wasn't in the bathroom. And they went in the bedroom. They said they found her in the bedroom. I said, how'd they find her? They said they found her laid out on the bed with her arms folded over her and a peaceful look on her face. And I thought to myself, isn't that just like God? She's afraid about gasping for breath. So one day, that's what I believe. You say, I don't believe this. Well, you leave me alone. When you get to heaven. We'll find, you'll find out I'm right. I believe the Holy Ghost said, Sister, will don't you go lay down and close your eyes for a little while. And she went and laid down on that bed and closed her eyes and woke up in glory. <laughs> how have I dreaded as an enemy this smiling friend? I don't know how I'll die, but I know this. When I die, I'm going to wake up in glory. And I don't mean after soul sleep because Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now, let me say this. And say this and I'll be done. If we're all going to die, all of us, we're going to make a crossing. What we better do on our way to that finish line is we better start making mention. We better start mentioning forgiveness. I don't want to face the finish line With bitterness in my heart. I don't want to have to explain to Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ. Why I was forgiven of every sin I ever committed. But I wouldn't forgive somebody else who sinned against me. When I cross the finish line. I want to be clean and clear. And since I don't know when the finish line is coming. I might better get clean and clear right here tonight. You say, well, preacher, I wouldn't know how to forgive. Well, I believe if you just get close to God, He's a great forgiver. And I think if you'll get close to Him tonight, He'll show you how to forgive and how to go about it. I don't think it'll be as hard or as difficult or complex as you think it is if you just draw up close to Him in His lap and say, Now, oh, Lord, I don't know how to go about this, but I sure am willing. I believe He'll show you how to go about it, and you can get that finish line clean. I think we better make mention of the Father and make mention of forgiveness, and I think we better make mention of freedom and get as many folks free as we can along the way. Faith loves to make Mention. I want you to bow your heads a moment. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. We're headed toward that finish line. It may be by rapture. It may maybe by way of the grave. But we're headed toward it. You ready for the finish line? Are you ready? I was preaching in Georgia and a woman came up on a cane. A young woman wept and cried at the altar, another woman with her. After the service, her mother asked if I would speak to her and I sat down and here's what she said. She didn't go into all the details, but she said, said, I believe she said, two men kidnapped her, carried her all around the country and did things to her. She said, that's why I walk on this cane because of what they did. She said, I didn't want them to go to heaven. I thought heaven would be a dirty place if they went. So really what she's saying is she wanted them to go to hell. She said, But tonight at the altar I forgave them. And she said, for the first time in twenty years, I have peace in my heart. She's getting ready for the finish. What if we cross the finish line before tomorrow? You ready? Are you saved? Are you right? Is there anybody? Is there anybody? If you knew you were going to cross the finish line before the night passes, is there anybody? You'd say, I've got to get a hold of them. I've got to get in touch with them. I've got to make sure that it's right with them because I'm crossing the finish. Is there somebody like that? Now, I'm not saying this is true in every time, but there's a good chance the person that you'd like to get right with would like to get right with you. Won't you do something about it at an altar tonight? Faith loves to make mention of forgiveness.